0: Thank you. My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And I want to thank you for joining us today on Peace by Believing. And I'm praying that this program will be a real blessing to you. We are just beginning a study of the Lord's Prayer. And so for the next several programs, that's what we're going to be thinking about together, the Lord's Prayer. Now, let me give a little overview before we get into our study for today. The Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that Jesus ever prayed himself. It is a prayer, rather, that he gave his disciples to pray. And the way I know that is, there's a line in this prayer that says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus had no debts to be forgiven of. He had no sins that needed to be forgiven. And so this was not a prayer that Jesus prayed, but it was a prayer he gave the disciples to pray. And so it is the Lord's prayer in that sense. It is the prayer that he gave us to pray. Now. For years and years, many of us who've grown up in the church have probably had this prayer, or at least parts of this prayer, memorized, tucked away in the back of our minds, and maybe from time to time we have prayed it. And I think that's a great thing to do. But I don't think Jesus ever actually gave this prayer. In fact, I know Jesus didn't give this prayer so that we would just mindlessly and thoughtlessly repeat this prayer from rote. Uh, No, Jesus gave this prayer as a model or as a guide, and it could form something of an outline for us in praying. Now, having said that, I think it's a fine thing to memorize the prayer, and I think it's a fine line or a fine thing, rather, to pray this prayer to God uh, line by line. But if we do it that way, we want to make sure that the prayer means something to us, that we're not just saying empty words, that we're not just using vain repetitions, Because after all, Jesus taught against that. So as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we want to know what each line means, what each request means, so that the prayer has significance to us. It means something to us when we pray it. Now, last time we were together, we talked about the opening line of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus gave us these four words, Our Father in heaven. And right there in the opening line of this prayer, we have a clear description of the love of God where Jesus described God as our Father— And then he says, in heaven, and that tells us about the power of God. And so in the opening line of the Lord's Prayer, we have the love of God and the power of God side by side. When you go to God in prayer, if you're a Christian, if you've been saved, and you go to God to pour out your heart to God, you are talking to your Heavenly Father who knows you perfectly, who understands your situation completely who has a plan for your life, and that thing that you're facing right now that makes no sense to you, that thing that may have come into your life out completely out of the blue, God knows all about it. And God has allowed that into your life for some reason, some purpose. And as your father, and as my father, we know that God would never allow anything into our lives that he would not ultimately use for our good and for his glory and so when we just say the opening two words of this prayer our father it gives us comfort and it gives us confidence and it gives us peace to know that as our heavenly father he will meet our needs he will fight our battles He will make a way for us. He will always protect us and watch over us. He is our Father. But not only is He our Father, He is in heaven. and That tells us about His power and His strength and His might. He's the creator of the universe. And a lot of times an earthly father who loves his uh, children with all of his heart may be limited in what he can do for them. Earthly fathers don't have unlimited resources. Earthly fathers don't have unlimited strength and power. But the Heavenly Father does. He has unlimited resources and He has unlimited strength and power. And so when you go to God in prayer and you begin to pour out your heart to Him, you're talking not only to your Father who knows you and loves you, but you're talking to the Creator of the universe. The Bible says nothing is too hard for God, that he can take the worst imaginable of situations and circumstances and find a way to turn those things around and bring indescribable good out of those things. And so when we pray, our Father in heaven, that's what we should be thinking about, the love of God and the power of God. Now, in today's study, we come to the second line, the second phrase, really, in the uh, in the Lord's Prayer, and it simply says this, Hallowed be your name. Now, the Lord's Prayer consists of six different requests, six different requests. The first three have to do with the glory of God, and the last three have to do with the basic human needs that we all have, our physical needs. That's why he said, give us this day our daily bread. Our spiritual needs as we talk about and ask God to forgive us of our debts, and uh, also the need we have to avoid. Uh, sin, as Jesus taught us to pray, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the last three requests have to do with us, our lives, physically and spiritually and emotionally and every other way. But the first three requests have to do with the glory of God. That Those requests are the ones where Jesus taught us to pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we want to begin our prayer time each day, whether we quote the Lord's Prayer or whether we use it as some kind of a guide or whether we just pray a completely different prayer, however we pray, we, we want to let the Lord's Prayer teach us this much, that we should always begin our prayer time by focusing on God and not on us. Focusing on the glory of God, the will of God, the plan of God, not on our own selfish desires and preferences and what we would like to see God do. Though there's certainly places there is a place in all of our praying to tell God what our desires are, what we would like to see Him to do, and to ask Him to, to give us what it is we think we need, but we don't start there. We start by focusing on God, His name, His Kingdom, and His will. And so on today's program we're thinking about that phrase, hallowed be Your Name. It is the first request we find in the Lord's Prayer. And I would say This request is probably the most difficult one to understand because, after all, how many of us use the word hallowed on a daily basis? Now, I bet you haven't said that word all day long. Unless you quoted the Lord's Prayer at breakfast this morning, I bet you have not said hallowed all day long. And so, let's begin there. What does that word mean? Well, it's interesting. The Greek word hallowed comes from a word, a Greek word, hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S, and that word literally means holy, different, or separate. Holy, different, or separate. It's interesting, in the Bible, we find, for example, that certain things are referred to with that word hagios. Certain things in Scripture are called holy. For example, the temple in Bible times was considered to be holy because the temple was different from all other buildings. Uh, The priest was considered to be holy because a priest was different from other uh, men, from other human beings. Not only that, we know that God's day is considered holy because God's day is different from all other days. And then God's name, here we find it. Hallowed be your name. May your name be revered. May your name be honored. May your name be considered holy and separate and different from all other names. And so when we pray this request, Hallowed be your name, we're asking God to honor and to glorify and to revere his own name. What we're really saying is, God, in this world in which I live, I pray that your name would be honored, that your name would be considered holy, that your name would be set apart from all other names. Now, it's interesting, in in our English-speaking word, when we talk about somebody's name, it really mainly refers to what a person is called. In other words, my name is John, that's what people call me, and your name is whatever it is, and that's what people call you. But in Hebrew thought, a person's name was more than just what they were called or what they went by. A person's name has to do, and and William Barclay, a New Testament scholar from a long time ago, he, he pointed out that a person's name refers to the person's nature, the person's character, and the person's personality. And so in Hebrew thought, when you talked about somebody's name, you weren't just referring to what that person was called, you were referring to that person's character, to that person's reputation, to that person's uh, nature, his personality. What is that person like? Is he a man or woman of integrity? Is he an honest person? Is she a kind person? What are some, you know, when you hear that person's name, what do you think of? And so when we pray for God to hallow his name, to separate his name above and beyond all other names and to distinguish his name, what we're really praying is, God, in the world in which I live and even in my life, God, I am asking you that your name, that your entire person would be glorified and honored and revered by all who know me and by all uh, whom I, with whom I come in contact. There's a verse in the Old Testament that I think helps illustrate the point I'm trying to make. In Psalm 9 and verse number 10, the Scripture says, all who know God's name will put their trust in him. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean or did that mean in the Old Testament times that everybody who knows or who knew that God's name was Jehovah, that all those people are going to trust God? In New Testament times, did it mean that everybody who knew that God's name is Jesus, that that all the people who knew that uh, trust Jesus? Well, no. It doesn't mean everybody who knows what God's name is or everybody who knows what God is called, but when the Scripture says all who know your name will put their trust in you, it means all who understand God's nature, all who understand God's character, all who understand God's attributes and his qualities and his characteristics and his personality, all who understand God's patience and his kindness and his love and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace, all who understand these things about God will just naturally put their trust in him. And that's why it's so important in our teaching and in our preaching that we focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Because the more that I can tell you about Jesus and the more that others can teach me about Jesus, the more we just naturally trust Jesus. Because when we understand about his nature and his character and his personality and all these other qualities that he has, it's just easier So much easier for us to trust a God like that. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, that's what we're praying. God, in the world in which we live and in my own life, I pray that your name would be honored and glorified and that it would be revered. Now, the question is, what role do we play in that? Or maybe I could ask it this way. How can God honor and glorify his name in our lives. Because I think the spirit of what Jesus is saying here when he taught us to pray, hallowed be your name, there is a sense, and it may be a small sense, that only maybe only be a small part, but there is a sense in which God wants to glorify his own name through your life, in your home and in your relationships, and at your workplace and in your circle of friends, that God wants you to live your life in such a way that the people who know you the best and who are around you the most, that they could look at you, and they're certainly not going to see uh, perfection in you or me or any of the rest of us. The only perfect person is Jesus, so they're not going to see a perfect life in us, but hopefully when they look at our lives, they'll be able to say, you know what, there's something about that person that's different. There's something about that person uh, that at least that person has a desire to be holy or a desire to please God. And I think about... Uh, So many of us who love the Lord, I mean, yes, we sin, many times we fail, but in our hearts there is a desire to please God, there's a desire to be in the will of God, and there's a desire to honor God's names in all that we do. And so what I want to do today in the remaining moments, I want to mention four different ways that we can honor God's name, that we can hallow God's name in our own lives. First of all, we can do that in our worship in our worship. Worship is simply when we spend time uh, praying to God, when we spend time singing songs to God, when we spend time studying God's Word, when we just spend time trying to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and thanking Him and praising Him for who He is. But in our worship, we have a tremendous opportunity, if we'll worship uh, biblically, to honor and glorify God's name. Now, let's think about our worship, because worship really divides into two different categories. First of all, there's our private worship, and then there's our corporate worship, when we come together on Sundays and with our other brothers and sisters in Christ at our churches, and, and we sing those songs to God, and we study God's Word together, and so on. And so, let's think about how we can honor God in those two different ways. First of all, in our private worship, when you're alone with God in your home, When you have gone to that private place in your room and you have shut the door, that is, you have blocked out outside distractions and disturbances, it's just you and God, you can just pray, God, as I'm having my quiet time right now, help me to honor you in this moment. God, as I pray, help me to pray about things that would bring you happiness, and that would bring you glory. Not just that would bring me temporary pleasure or happiness or meet some need that I think I have. And so, God, even you know, even in our private worship, we can say to God, God, I want to honor you. I even want this prayer time to honor you. I don't want my prayer to be selfish in any way. I want my prayer to be focused on your honor, your glory, your name, your kingdom, your will, and not my own agenda. And in our corporate worship. We also have an opportunity to honor God. And this is something at our church in Pasadena at First Baptist that we, we probably don't emphasize it as, as, as well or as much as we should. But we do try to emphasize that the most significant thing about our church is not that we're a Baptist church. And uh, it's not that we have blended worship services. Some churches have traditional worship, some churches have contemporary. We kind of right in the middle a little bit. But that's not the important thing. The important thing in our church is the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure it's that way in your church too. We want to make sure in our corporate worship services that the focus is on Jesus and that the focus is not on worship, or the focus is not on the preacher. We don't want it to be like that. We want the focus to be on Jesus Christ. I think it's just natural when you go to church. Maybe you visit a church, you're out of town on vacation, and you visit a church, or maybe you're like this with your own church, and you go to the service, and I guess it's just kind of human nature. It's almost like we become evaluators of the worship service. And when we leave, we might say to whoever went with us, well, did you like the music? Did you like the preaching? Did you like how the people acted? Did you like how the room looked? Did you like how the service felt? Did you like how the lights, were the lights too dark or too dim? Was the music too loud or was it too soft or was it too fast or was it too slow or too contemporary or not contemporary enough? Or, You know, so many times we go to church and that's kind of what's in our mind is the service to our liking. Now, when we think about what it means to hallow God's name, we have to stop thinking like that. And we have to remember that, strictly speaking, the worship service is not for us. The worship service is for Jesus. And so the question is not, did I like the service? The question is, did Jesus like the service? I mean, we we're come to coming to worship him. The service is for him. It's like it's it's like a birthday party for Jesus. You wouldn't go to somebody else's birthday party and then when it was over with when you left, say, well, I, you know, did you like it or did you like it? The, the focus is not you. It wasn't your birthday party, it was somebody else's party. Well, when we come to worship Jesus corporately, it's kinda like a, a, a cel- It's not kind of, it is a celebration. and It is kind of like a birthday party for him. And so the question is, did, did Jesus like it? Whether we sing traditional hymns, contempor- new contemporary songs, or whether we kind of mix them up, here's the question. Does the worship time, does the music lift up Jesus? the preaching does it is it true to god's word does it magnify the person of jesus christ is it instructive is it redemptive is it practical is it applicable is it helpful is it true to scripture and so the question is not did i like it it's does jesus like it and was he is he pleased and was he pleased with our most recent worship experience we have an opportunity to honor god in our worship and then we have an opportunity to honor god in our words our words have great power for good or for evil with our words, we can lift up. With our words, we can tear down. With our words, we can we can hurt another person. With our words, we can heal another person. The Scripture says in Psalm 19 and verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And so we want to honor God with our words. And I want to give you four suggestions when it comes to your words because we use our words every day and we want to make sure that our words are hallowing, honoring, glorifying, magnifying, revering the name of God. Let me give you four suggestions. First, number one, don't break the third commandment. Don't break the third commandment. You say, John, what's the third commandment? Well, the third commandment says that we should uh, not take God's name in vain. And so we never want to use the name God or Jesus in any slang way. I would encourage you when you text somebody, don't text OMG because that's taking God's name uh, in vain. You may not even have thought about it, but it really is. It's using God's name in an irreverent way. And so we don't want to do that. We don't want to, to break the third commandment. We don't want to take God's name in vain. The second suggestion is don't break another person's spirit. The Bible says in Proverbs that reckless words pierce like a sword and they do and you know you can say something to somebody some maybe in anger or frustration and you say something that pierces that person or that that breaks that person's spirit and a day later you can go back and apologize and that person will more than likely forgive you but Even though there's been forgiveness and there can always be reconciliation, the damage has been done, and you have wounded that person. And so, yes, they'll forgive you, God will forgive you, and you move on and try not to do it again. But try your best not to break another person's spirit. Don't don't do anything that would hurt another person. My third suggestion when it comes to our words is let your words be soft, gentle, and sweet. Somebody has said we better make our words sweet because we might have to eat them. That is truth. Sometimes our words come right back around to us. But the Scripture says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so let your words be gentle and soft and kind and loving and not harsh in any way. And then the fourth suggestion is uh, use your words to edify and to build up others. Look for positive, encouraging things that you can say to another person because after all, Other people are listening to our words, and so is God. And so we want our words to honor and glorify uh, the person of Jesus Christ and to make our Heavenly Father look good. So we can honor God, we can hallow His name in our worship, in our words, but also in our ways. You know, the Scripture says, even a child is known by his doings. It's true. You can tell what kind of a child you have. I think by the time that a child is four or five years of age, uh, probably before then, but certainly by then, that child's personality is kind of set and you can kind of tell uh, what you're in for, The re- <laughs> at least to a large extent, what you're in for the rest of the way. Even a child is known by his doings, but so are adults. We are too. And I'm talking here about our attitudes, not just our words, but our body language. And how we treat people, and things like that. So we want to make sure that our ways, we honor God not only in our worship and our words, but we want to honor God in our ways, not only in our in our personality and our th- those type things, but in the places we go, in the company we keep, in the TV shows that we watch, in the movies that we go to, in the way we spend our time. Is God honored in our business dealings, in our ways? Are we honest? Are we people of integrity? Do we do what we said we would do? Because if we don't, we dishonor God, And if we do, we honor God. So look for ways at home, at work, at church, within the community, with your friends. Look for ways to honor God. And then the fourth way that we can hallow God's name is in our responses. In our responses, Adrian Rogers, a godly pastor who is in heaven now, once said this, you can plan your actions, but you can't plan your reactions. Think about that. You can plan your actions, But you can't plan your reactions. In other words, when somebody is rude to you or somebody is unkind to you, if you want to know what is really in your heart, watch how you respond. It is your response that is so very important. You can't plan your response. If somebody uh, cuts you off in traffic or if somebody is rude to you, uh, just watch how you respond to that. Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I have a, a a can of coca-cola and I've got it open and somebody comes to my desk and knocks that can over, what's coming out of the can? Well, I'll tell you what's coming out of the can, coca-cola, because that's what was in the can. What comes out is what was in. And so if we're responding uh, unkindly and harshly and those type ways, all that is showing us is that in our heart all those things were there. And so we want to respond uh, in a way that would honor God. We can't control a lot of things that happen in life, but we can control our responses. We can't plan them in advance, but we can control them. And if we're walking in the Spirit, we can respond in a way that would make God look good. And so I encourage you this week, in your worship, both privately and corporately, in your words, in your ways, and in your responses, try your best to hallow God's name. How does the prayer begin? Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. I want to thank you for joining us today. I encourage you to visit our website at peacebybelieving.org. That's peacebybelieving.org. We have helpful resources there for you. We have booklets you can read, and we have sermons you can listen to. And I would encourage you to contact us. Let us know where you're listening from, and let us know how the broadcast is a blessing. Thank you.